and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. I had a candida problem and now I don't anymore. And every once in a while, I have sugar and it's fine. And I have I have honey and I have fruit, bananas, like all the things that I couldn't have while I was fighting candida. And that's, so that candida diet is not meant to be a forever thing. That's a therapeutic diet. Hello, hello, friends, and thank you so much for joining me again. That little clip you heard right there is Lori Seeley. She is a functional medicine health coach and a lover of essential oils. She is also a mom and a professional opera singer. So anyway, we talk a little bit about her story today where she suffered for years with IBS and all of the horrible, embarrassing symptoms that came along with it, including a raging candida overgrowth. With the help from her coach and a school of applied functional medicine, Lori learned how to kill candida and heal her gut. So now she's kind of turned into a health detective and she teaches people how to kill candida and repair their gut through workshops, group programs, essential oils, some homeopathy, and one-on-one coaching. So today we have Lori on the show. And if you don't want to talk about poop, then today's show might not be for you. But it is a really important part of our digestion and health. And so today we're going to cover it pretty thoroughly. And before we get going, if you could hit the pause button and jump over and subscribe to this podcast, I would be so appreciative. The more subscribers and reviews I have, the more visible I am to other people so they can find this podcast. It also helps me get qualified professionals on my podcast because without listeners and likes and shares and comments and all of these great things, it's really hard to get qualified professionals on my podcast. So if you can share with everybody, leave me reviews and subscribe, that would help me out immensely. Also, do not forget to pop on over to my website, ConnieNightingale.com. That's Nightingale spelled with an I, not an E, N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-E. That link will also be in the show notes as well as Lori's information. Anyway, before I ramble on too much further, thank you so much for joining me. And here is Lori. Okay, Lori, we are live. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you on here because I am a huge digestion gut nerd. I believe that it influences (laughs) 
so many things in our lives and even our way of thinking and how we feel on a day-to-day basis. And I don't think that there's enough talk out there about it. And so I'm excited to have you on here today to talk about it. I'm excited to be here. I agree. There's not enough talk about it. And there's so much that we see in the media that's just incorrect information. And so that's why I like I have a podcast, too. And that's why I started my podcast. That's why I like to be on other people's podcasts so that we can get the correct information out there to people. Well, I'm hoping that the medical field is now starting to catch on with these things and maybe rework the way they're thinking. I think it's slowly happening, but it's just kind of a slow process. Mm -hmm. It depends what kind of doctor you go to. There's a big functional medicine community out there that's getting a lot more well known and people are kind of seeking that kind of help out now, which I think is great. But still, the allopathic community is about 20, 30 years behind. Right. And then a lot of the functional medicine, I think, doesn't have pharmaceutical intervention happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say that they aren't prescribing medications because they are, but I think they don't have that pharmaceutical influence. They're more looking for the root cause and not just the treatment. Right. Exactly. So like the pharmaceutical companies aren't holding them by the purse straps, shall we say. Yes, I love it. So before we dive in too deep, because we're going to go there, I know it. Uh, Before we get into too much um, stuff here, can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So now I'm a functional medicine health coach. I used to be an opera singer um, and I was kind of doing both for a couple of years. I just quit singing last year in March Um, And I was singing at the Lyric Opera of Chicago in their chorus there full time, which was really fun. But then I just uh, my I don't know, my calling just kind of switched gears, sort of. So um, I've I had I was going to say I've had that makes it sound like I still have it. I don't anymore. I used to have IBS my entire life until I was about 39 years old. And it was mostly constipation with occasional diarrhea, horrible smelly gas. Already we're talking about poop. Um, The problem was I didn't know that I was constipated because there's not enough education out there about it. And I got real angry real fast when I found out, you're telling me I'm constipated? Really? Because I pooped like nine times a day, but it was tiny little balls like rabbit turds. And that's the, the classic definition of constipated. But I thought since I was pooping all the time, that I was winning at poop. I'm like, I poop all the time. Well, it's not supposed to be tiny little balls. That means that it's taking a really long time getting through your digestive tract and you are soaking up a lot of the stuff that your body actually put out for the garbage disposal. And so you're soaking up all these toxins that your body meant to escort out the back door. So that's not good. Anyway, then my whole life, I was almost having accidents because of sudden diarrhea, like far from a toilet. That's awful. Once my early 30s, I had an actual accident on my way to rehearsal on the A train in New York. Horrible. So at that time, I was already having frequent yeast infections, three to six per year. I I also didn't know that was frequent. I thought it was just annoying. And over-the-counter creams eventually stopped working, and then Diflucan stopped working. That's a prescription antifungal. Um, 
And then my digestive issues just kept getting worse with increasingly more frequent and urgent diarrhea. And then after I gave birth to my daughter, who's now 10 years old, um, my thyroid and my immune system just took a huge plunge. And I had a yeast infection every single day for a year straight. And the whole time I've been Googling my symptoms, I always found the same answer, candida overgrowth, right? But then I saw what you had to do to get rid of it. And I just pushed it out of my mind. I was like, no, 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 that's too hard. It can't be that. But then after this year-long yeast infection, I thought, okay, I can't deny it any longer. And that is when my fight started. And so I fought off candida. I, I went to a lot of doctors. Nobody helped me. Finally, I just figured out how to do it myself. And the last straw in my figuring it out was when I started studying functional medicine. I went to a school called the School of Applied Functional Medicine. And it was there that I that I did the last little bit that I really needed to do to heal my gut and move forward. And now I'm helping other people do the same thing. Pretty cool. I love it. And I have found so many people with digestive problems. Mm-hmm. It is so prevalent. Like... I can't even tell you, I come into counter, encounter people like all of the time that they're like, oh my, like, or even things such as acid reflux. Yeah. And then I like that you mentioned about the yeast infection thing, because that's a pretty crazy thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know back about 10 years ago, I worked with um, somebody that was like, oh no, I cannot ever have sugar. And and, she, and we all kind of thought she was crazy. We were like, what? You can't even have one little piece of this cake? And she was like, no, I ha- was having yeast infections and problems for years and years. And finally, I hired a naturopath. And she discovered that I have a severe candida problem if I eat any kind of sugar. So basically, that means not just white sugar, but breads. Um, carbohydrates, things like that, she doesn't do well with. And she said, when I stop doing this, I don't get yeast infections anymore. And we were kind of like, yeah, whatever. How is that related? You know? (laughs) And then um, flash forward in my own life, I switched to a paleo diet. And actually, it was a gap, the gaps diet, but I switch over to this. And before that, I would have I didn't have them all the time, but I would get yeast infections and things like that. And it was really interesting. I switch over to this cleaner style Mm -hmm. of eating and I'm reading in a magazine about its link between um, female problems and um, candida and all these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about it, but I have not had a problem or a yeast infection in the last five years. (laughs) And it just all of a sudden was like, it should have like made sense, right? That all of that went hand in hand, but it totally didn't for some reason. It just took that article to ring that it bell. It absolutely does. But now like I would love to talk to your friend and sort of take her naturopathic physician and slap her on the wrist a little bit because that's concerning to me that she just said, okay, now you can never eat sugar again. That's wrong. That is messed up and not the right way to deal with it. There's a, like, therapeutically, you can't eat sugar for probably, I don't know, anywhere between four months to like a year and a half, I've seen, depending on how long you've had a problem and how your body deals with it and how your body deals with getting rid of toxins. But um, you should be able to get over it. 
you know, you should be able to fight that candida back and repopulate your gut with healthy bacteria so that you no longer have a candida problem. You had a candida problem, you know? I had a candida problem and now I don't anymore. And every once in a while, I have sugar and it's fine. And I have I have honey and I have fruit, bananas, like all the things that I couldn't have while I was fighting candida. And that's so that candida diet is not meant to be a forever thing. That's a therapeutic diet. The, I love this. So, <laughs> so well, while you're talking about this, though, um, as far as this this goes, um, I mean, we're obviously talking about can, candida right now, mm-hmm. but there's other things that influence gut um, health as well besides candida. Oh, yeah. And that's the hard, hard thing to navigate when it comes to digestion and people that are having digestive problems is because there's a lot of factors involved and it may not just be that one thing. Right. It can be a whole host of things there. Um, I've had actually two clients in the recent past who thought for years that they had a candida issue and they were treating that and they were on this like terribly strict diet for however many years. And then they came to me and the, when I have clients, if, um, if they're willing to do it, the first thing I do with them is a stool test. And I do a comprehensive digestive analysis that also tests for ova and parasites. So what that does is it shows you everything that's going on in your gut and all of the, um, the, and the immune markers and it measures bacteria in your gut. It measures, it looks for candida. It looks for parasites. It looks for protozoa. It looks for ova. That's like the eggs of those things, right? Um, and it gives you the full picture of what's going on in there. And so these Two people thought they had a candida overgrowth, and it turns out they didn't have any candida. It showed no growth for candida. (laughs) And they were (laughs) like, no, I was on this diet for this long. And I'm like, hey, I got some good news and some bad news. Like, the bad news is you don't have candida. Also, the good news is you don't have candida. (laughs) So now (laughs) you can stop with this terribly strict diet. I mean, they still have to eat healthy obviously, but, um, they could be on more of like a paleo style diet or a gaps diet or, you know, and kind of, you know, have some maple syrup and some honey and some bananas if they wanted to, which kind of like opened up a whole thing. And we found that with both of them, really the problem was stress because stress kills healthy bacteria, mostly lactobacillus. And yeah, and for both of these people, they had, I mean, stuff was different, but basically their problem was the same. They had no lactobacillus growth. And one of them also didn't have any bifidobacillus growth. And those are supposed to be the two most plentiful bacteria in your gut. So with neither of those things in there, you don't have any good guys fighting for you. And the one woman had like terrible diarrhea. And I'm like, well, of course you have diarrhea. (laughs) You don't have any good bacteria in there. Like, how can you possibly digest your food in a good way? And if you don't have that healthy bacteria, then you also have a problem with the lining of your gut. 
So that creates leaky gut in a way. It's kind of a gut irritant because you don't have those. So those bacteria are soothing to the gut. And so if you don't have these things that are soothing to the gut and actually at the same time, this is going to sound weird, but at the same time, they're creating acid in your gut, which is good for your gut. It's soothing. It helps to digest things. So if you don't have that going on, of course you have IBS. Of course you're farting all the time. <laughs> like it totally makes sense. Right. And it's going to create right. all the same symptoms that you would see with candida or with a parasite or anything. And so that's why like you always want to find out what's causing your IBS, right? And if you find out it's candida, do that diet therapeutically and kill down the candida, repopulate your gut, your gut with healthy bacteria, and then heal and seal your gut lining, and then you're good to go. Then there's a lot of foods that you can bring back into your diet that maybe you have had in the past some food sensitivities. And <clears throat> now after you have repopulated your gut with the good guys, you're able to digest things better and your gut isn't leaking anymore. And now you probably are losing some of those food sensitivities as well. And you can bring some food back into your diet. So like that's how I work. The whole idea is to help people figure out how they can eat a greater variety of healthy foods that they may be sensitive to when they start seeing me. I, that's awesome. And that's one thing you kind of brought up was that I think it's a common misnomer out there to people that an acidic stomach is a bad mm -hmm. thing and people associate stomach acid with acid reflux, which those things are not actually, that's not a correct way of thinking. A lot of people get acid reflux and they throw an acid blocker at it, um, like omeprazole or something mm -hmm. like that. And what they don't realize is they're actually knocking down that acid, which is in turn making things worse because your stomach is not able to digest its food. Right. And so the thing is, like you probably already know this, but um, in in order for you for that valve between the stomach and the esophagus to close, you have to have good, strong gut, ba uh, sorry, gut bacteria too, but good, strong acid in your stomach. So, so when you eat, that triggers acid to be formed in your stomach. And then that valve there closes and those things are churning around, churning around in your stomach and it doesn't splash up into the esophagus. But when you don't have enough stomach acid, which happens with a lot of us because we take all sorts of drugs that reduce stomach acid besides proton pump inhibitors, like, you know, just like NSAIDs and antibiotics and steroids, those all kill gut bacteria, which in turn reduces our stomach acid. So we're all doing these things to reduce stomach acid already. So we have low stomach acid, then we eat something and there is some acid in there and there's food in there. Your stomach's churning and squishing and trying to digest stuff. And it's splashing up into your open esophagus because there's not enough stomach acid in there to actually close that valve. And so then people think, oh, I'm getting acid up in my esophagus. I must have too much acid. No, no, no. You don't have enough. There's not enough there to make that valve shut because that's what triggers that valve to shut. You know, it only opens up to let food through. It's a one-way shoot. So 
tell us a little bit. You said you are sending off for stool tests, which is becoming more and more mm-hmm. popular. And these aren't the these are not the same stool tests that your Western medicine doc is sending right. out. Um, first of all, we'll just disclaim this by saying um, I am not personally a doctor and none of this is supposed to be any kind of clinical information for people. So this is just strictly us talking about these things. However, Western medicine, when they send out a stool test, they are not checking for the appropriate things that are actually causing a lot of the issues people are having as far as digestion Correct. goes. So they'll, they'll test, they'll take, first of all, they take one stool sample from one passage of stool to test for parasites. The problem with that is they're only testing for one parasite at a time, usually, which is lame, I think. Um, but they're using one passage of stool to do it. Well, parasites and candida and all those things, they travel in groups like a school of fish. So it's super easy to have them all over your gut. But this time when you poop and you scoop from here and here and you put that in the tube, you didn't catch any because they, because they're not where you scooped from. They're just everywhere else. So it's really, it's really common to get a false negative in one of those tests. So the tests that I send out, we test over a period of three days from three different passages of stool. So you're much more likely, if they're in there, to catch them. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is in a sense like fishing. You've got to get the yeah. right spot in order to yeah. catch the fish. <laughs> and it's, it's the most disgusting thing you can possibly do. <laughs> like, it's so gross. Yeah, um... Well, you know, I mean, the way I think about it is it is your yeah. own, right? So there's that. I mean, I would rather dig around in my own poop than um, clean up somebody else's or vomit or something yes. like that. So I could think yes, of worse absolutely. things. But have you ever done it? Uh-huh. Uh, the poop test? Okay, yes, so I you know. I haven't done one of these. Yeah, I did a t- I did a traditional uh-huh. Western medicine stool test, which obviously revealed nothing. Guess what? Yeah, nothing. Of course, <laughs> they always do. That's right, why those right. kind of doctors are like, um, oh, you don't need a stool test. We never find anything with stool tests because you're doing the wrong test. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, with your clients, um, you send out for this test. What are they looking for in this test, and what? Um, bases does it cover? Yes, yeah, so it covers everything. It just, it gives you a comprehensive view of everything that's going on in your poo. So in your intestines, I guess, not just in your poo. Um, so tests for all the things that I mentioned before, all the good bacteria, all the commensal bacteria, which is just bacteria that's like there and is, has neither been proven to be bad nor good. And it's possibly mutually beneficial. Um, and then it tests for like certain kinds of mucus and it tests for, um, acids, which are the, the waste from bacteria. So it tests for that too. So a lot of, so obviously like if you're testing for bacteria, you find zero bacteria, you're also going to find very little waste from bacteria. And that waste from the bacteria is what is like it's indicative of how your immune system is doing, how fortified it might be. Like bacteria poop <laughs> kind of tells us how, well, how your immune system is doing. I find, 
Yeah, I kind of find that interesting because really your immune system is directly um, related with your Mm, gut health. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, Like, I think 60% of your immune system starts in in your stomach. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? So I hear from anywhere between 70 to 95% of your immune system is in your gut. That's that's what people say. That they'll come up. Seventy percent of your immune system is in your gut. Ninety-five percent of your immune system is in your gut. So I'm not sure what that number is, but it's a lot, right? Depending mm-hmm. on who you talk to, it's going to be a different number. But it's more than fifty percent of your immune system is actually in your gut, right? And that's that's where it starts out because that's your first line of defense. So whatever you put into your mouth, it could have all sorts of different stuff in it. And so your immune system is there looking at it going, are you a foreign invader? And if the answer is yes, then it just like the right, the best thing for it to do is just to like hold its hand. It binds to that invader, carries it out your back door, right? Without really reacting to it. So that's a strong, calm immune system. And you don't have a strong, calm immune system without good, healthy stomach acid that can like beat the foreign invaders to a pulp and kill them, right? And or also without a lot of good, healthy, strong gut bacteria because the bacteria creates the acid. Right. So when you do these tests and you uproot some of the yeah. problems, what do some of these, what do some of these disturbances look like? They come in various different forms. Um, and then what are ways that you're able to help people address them? So, you know, usually the problem is that they just don't have enough gut bacteria because their whole lives they've been doing things that kill it. And now they're paying the consequences. They've got IBS, they've got inflammation everywhere, they've got food sensitivities, sometimes autoimmunity that results from that kind of stuff. And so what we do is we make sure that they're eating a well-balanced whole foods diet with no processed foods in it. And so this, you know, this changes a person from eating things that come in cans, boxes, and bags to eating things that are basically straight out of the ground. (laughs) And then they have to bring it home, chop it up and cook it and make a meal, you know? So that's... Mm -hmm. I actually was was just writing a blog post about this. Um, You know, the best way to eat things that aren't processed. Mm -hmm. I mean, because in a sense, everything is a little bit processed, but... I mean, even the minute you like butcher yeah. a cow and eat the beef, obviously you're processing mm-hmm. it. But I, I mean, if it comes with an ingredient label in the first yeah. place, it's, I mean, more than likely something you maybe should steer exactly. away from. I mean, there's a ton of vegan junk food out there. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I actually was totally cracking up last night because I was reading highlights <laughs> magazine to my daughter And it just kind of, that's the vegan movement has kind of become a big thing. And I'm not bashing on anybody's style of eating. They're welcome to do what they want with the way they eat. Um, It doesn't affect me in any way, but um, there's a lot of people preaching that it it is the way to go. Um, And I was kind of laughing because there was an article on the sloth Mm -hmm. 
in Highlights Magazine. And I actually took pictures of it because I was giggling so much about it. But it said that the sloth is one of the slowest moving creatures in the jungle because it eats a lot of leaves and it's not able to get enough energy to move quickly off of those leaves. And that also its digestion is extremely slow because it eats such a high fiber diet. (laughs) And I was like, hmm, this is kind of interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It was just a funny little thing. And I took pictures of it just because of the, um, I'm not against eating plants by all means, but maybe they shouldn't be a primary source of fuel. <laughs> right. It is sort of, I mean, that's an extreme example, right? You know, the, I, I don't right. know how much liquid the sloth gets. Sounds like it needs some water, <laughs> but I, I'm not, I'm not um, educated on that particular thing, but yeah, I, I agree. Like um, everybody should eat what they want to eat. And certain, certain diets are good therapeutically, you know, like, like the anti-candida diet or the vegetarian or paleo or whatever. Like some of those things are like, like maybe it for this time in your life, you need to be a vegetarian for certain reasons. And maybe for this time in your life, you need to eat paleo for certain reasons. But I still feel like, you know, if you're eating paleo, three quarters of your plate should be plants and one quarter or less should be protein. And we don't actually... This is what I tell my clients anyway, that we don't actually need meat every day. Um, But I personally, like, I feel like I need it sometimes. (laughs) Like, I I tried to eat vegetarian for a while there. And um, I found that I was actually, I was eating way too much brown rice and quinoa. It it didn't work Mm -hmm. for me. And that's all. That's a whole nother rabbit hole Mm -hmm. there, right? Because there is a such thing as consuming too many carbohydrates. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole. And we won't go down there today. But um, a lot of people that are trying to heal their health move to a plant-based diet. And in that um, transition, it it helps a little bit to start, right? Because anything you change um, drastically is going to make changes in some way. Um, But the the problem they're trying to address may be something that's sensitive to um, carbohydrate loads, which obviously you talk about probably because mm-hmm. of candida and things like that. So um, anyways, can you elaborate a little bit on what a protocol could potentially look like for somebody that's struggling with candida? Yeah. So we, we kind of, we've mentioned the anti-candida diet and that's, um, that's the really the foundation of treatment for candida overgrowth. Um, Let me start out by saying candida is a yeast and it's something that shows up in every normal gut. The problem is when it gets overgrown and when when there's more of them than the beneficial bacteria, that's when it becomes a problem. And so to knock it back, we have to starve it, we have to kill it, and then we have to evict it. And when I say evict it, I mean that like we, for it to overgrow in there, we built a mansion for it by killing all of the good bacteria and leaving all this space, this huge mansion for candida just to procreate and multiply and 
succeed in there. And that's what they do. And so once we kill them down, then we have to evict them by moving the healthy bacteria and filling up that empty space. And it really is just a matter of geography in that in that way. You know, you kill some candida, you fill it up, you fill up the empty space with good bacteria, and then you keep doing that little by little. And so the anti-candida diet is a lot of vegetables. It's mostly vegetables, also meat, um, very little fruit, just like strawberries, blueberries, and raspberries, but only like one cup of anything that can be construed as carbohydrates per day. So like between the strawberries, brown rice, and quinoa, one cup of those things combined per day. So that's really very low carb. <laughs> um, and just like really a lot of vegetables and some meat and nuts as well. I know that when I was on that diet, I was hungry all the time. And I was eating so many nuts. Um, so there's that. And then we we use um, natural antifungals to kill the candida. And then after we've used the natural antifungals for a period of time, then we start to take up that empty space with, with beneficial bacteria. And um, we usually don't start that with fermented foods. We use actual like, you know, uh, probiotics. Like probiotics. Oh, I can think of the word probiotics. My brain is broken. I've been, I've been working all day long. I'm like developing a program. I'm writing this, like I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation. So like my words are whoop. Anyway. Yeah. So we start with probiotics in capsules. Um, and that helps to soothe the gut and take up the empty space. And then we just keep doing that. It's like peeling an onion. But really the foundation of it is the diet. You do that the whole time. And so why do you, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but why do you feel that um, a probiotic supplement is better than naturally occurring probiotics such as kimchi um, for other fermented foods, kombucha, it's not, things like that. That is not okay. what I meant. So what okay. happens with a candida overgrowth is that it, well, it drastically lowers the acid in your stomach. And mm -hmm. so when your stomach is in this vulnerable state where it doesn't have enough acid because it doesn't have enough good bacteria... You can eat as much kimchi as you want. You're going to feel awful. It's going to make you feel really bad. It is not going to soothe you in the way that it will later on when you have far less candida in your gut. So with that candida there, and this is the same thing for like any antigen that's overgrown in your gut, it kind of has the same effect on your gut with the low good bacteria and the low stomach acid. We don't start with sauerkraut and kimchi and that kind of like fermented foods. We wait until the mm -hmm. gut is at least 50% healed before we add those things in. And at that point, like I like to eventually, like it took me a couple years, but I like to eventually switch it over so that you're not taking any probiotics 
in pill form anymore and you're just eating a ton of sauerkraut and kimchi and like drinking the kombucha like it's going out of style that that's what i prefer mm -hmm. i do think that that's better than the pills but at the time when you still have a candida overgrowth and you have really low gut bacteria and really low acid in your gut that's not the thing that's going to make you feel good. It's going to make you feel worse. And you're going to, you're going to eat that stuff. Your stomach's going to be upset. You're not going to be able to digest it. And you're going to be farting a lot. It's going to make your IBS worse. Whereas the probiotic pills will actually soothe your gut at that point, because you just don't have, you just don't have the stomach acid to digest that other stuff at that point. Makes sense. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of change direction mm -hmm. here just a little bit and talk about more <laughs> stool stuff because I know we started to talk about it and I think that it's important that people know what their stool should look like because for some people like you said um you thought you were winning <laughs> when it was like <laughs> a couple of like little rabbit turds in the toilet you're like yeah I win okay we're good check that off the list for the day but in real actuality, there are different, I guess, red flags when you have certain types Absolutely. of Absolutely. So the best way to really visualize what I'm going to be talking about is to Google something called the Bristol stool chart. That's spelled B-R-I-S-T-O-L, Bristol stool chart. It's amazing. Um, it has all these little pictures of, are they drawings? I'm not sure. You know, they like cut out pictures. Anyway, I have it on the wall behind me now. And I refer to it with all my clients. I'm like, which number are you at? So it goes from number one to number seven. Okay. Number one is constipation. Number seven is watery stool diarrhea. Number four is nirvana poo. And then we have everything in between, right? So, so number one is little goat turds. Number two is sausage shaped but lumpy. It's like all the goat turds stuck together. Number three is like a sausage but with cracks on the surface. So that's like, like okay, it's okay, but it's a little dry, right? Number four is Nirvana poo. It's like it's like the Nike swoosh. It's like it just you can see, you can look down in the toilet and be like, so that's what the inside of my large intestine looks like exactly. <laughs> it's like beautiful. And that's, that's the kind of poo where like it comes out quickly. It doesn't smell very bad. It's a light brown color. You don't see chunks of food in it and, and you don't stink up the room. Right. And it's just like in and out, there's very little to wipe. If anything, that's Nirvana poo. And I want to just <laughs> interrupt you right there. Um, because I don't know, as a parent, I'm sure we have plenty of parents on this on this uh, podcast here. Have you ever gone to wipe your like three or four year old, and you go in there and you're like, "Oh my god, that is the biggest thing I've <laughs> yeah. ever seen." It's like a huge toilet snake, and you know you don't put two to two and two mm -hmm. together. But if you think about it, their young gut hasn't really had a chance to have all of these interventions happen mm -hmm. with it, and so at this point their gut and their digestion is pretty healthy. And so a lot of times these kids are having these perfect, as you call them, quote unquote, nirvana <laughs> poops, 
in the toilet and as a parent you're looking at that thing going holy smokes that's the biggest <laughs> poo i've ever seen but it's the truth it's a healthy digested yep stool. that's what it should look like it's amazing and it i mean the feeling after there's nothing better than like having a nirvana poo and you're just like ah i'm empty it's the <laughs> best like that's what you want to do in the morning <laughs> right right yeah you don't want to have a workout in the morning on top of the workout yeah, right, you already right. had yeah you want to sit there and relax i mean heck i i i know that it's taboo and most people don't talk about it but you know you should you should that's what i'm i'm trying to shout from the rooftops like this is what your poo should look like because i didn't know and i think i'm an intelligent, well-educated person, I should have known what my poop was supposed to look like. <laughs> Somebody should have asked me, some doctor should it. have said, Lori, what does your poo look like? No doctor ever asked me that. Not even the gastroenterologist when I went in complaining of IBS asked me what my poo looks like. It's so, and crazy. so that's, that's the first thing so, I ask my clients, what does it look like? And what are the indications that go along with some of these um, stool types? Well, so anything but number four indicates inflammation. And does it show that you're not digesting certain things? Or um, does it have any um, indications of what could be wrong with your digestion? Well, not really. Not just by looking at it. By looking at it, you can see, okay, something's wrong. And then in order to figure out what's wrong, usually you have to do a stool test. But with constipation, you can kind of do some things to test out like, okay, is the only problem that I'm not drinking enough water? Because that could be. Possibly you're just not drinking enough water. And so there's the, the, the stool doesn't start out wet enough to make it through all the way. So, so then mm -hmm. you just, you know, the... The amount of water that we should be drinking is um, like you take your weight, divide it by two, and that's how many ounces of water you should drink per day. So like if you weigh 140, you should be drinking at least 70 ounces of water per day. And so that's where we start out. You make sure you're drinking that amount of water per day and maybe your constipation will go away. Also, I want to bring up something very important. You want to be testing this theory on days when you do not drink coffee. Because if you have to drink coffee to have a poo that looks like my number four Nirvana poo, you're probably constipated. I want to see what it looks like without the coffee. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Put that little caveat in there. So, and then there's other things that could be causing constipation as well. Like, um, well, there's just not enough magnesium in the food that we eat. First, because most people don't eat enough vegetables, and that's where you get your magnesium from. But secondly, because of the way the farming practices are nowadays, there's not enough minerals in the soil. So if it's not in the soil, it can't be in the vegetables. So it's just really hard, even if you're eating an absolutely perfect diet, to have the amount of magnesium that we need. So that could be the problem. So then you want to get some powdered magnesium citrate and see if that helps. 
I love personally taking magnesium. Mm -hmm. I take um, the calm supplement at night before I go to bed. Um, And not only does it help me stay regular, um, which I don't have too much of a problem (laughs) with anyways, but it definitely guarantees that you're not going to have a problem. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But it it has a super calming effect on you, right? And it's all over just magnesium. Mm-hmm. Well, it's magnesium citrate. There are different kinds of magnesium. The citrate is the one that helps you poo. Um, some people need extra magnesium, but they don't have a problem pooing. And then you want to stay away from magnesium citrate because it then it'll give you diarrhea if you, <clears throat> if you don't have a problem pooing. Um, and then a good way to go about it is like there are some cell salts that are magnesium, like magnesium phosphate. I'm just learning about these cell salts. It's very... Uh, eye-opening to me. I'm sort of, um, I'm bringing some homeopathy into my practice and I'm just starting out with it. So I'm not really using it with my clients quite yet, but um, I'm learning about it and it's super interesting. And yeah, there are some cell salts that work with that. Are you aware of what that is? No, I'm not actually. So homeopathy is, it's been around for over 200 years. Um, It's been, it's been tested. It's FDA regulated and everything. They're actual remedies. They're medications that um, they don't suppress symptoms like the prescription meds that doctors prescribe. They uproot problems. And so there's um, over like something like over 2,000 homeopathic remedies plus these 12 cell salts. And they kind of overlap as to what they treat. And it's very interesting to find out like exactly what kind of personalities go with what remedies. It's kind of like it sounds a little woo-woo, but it's not because <laughs> it's science-based. Um but they just use very minute um, concentrations of certain minerals or um, plants and it uproots issues. Like I'm taking a couple things from my thyroid issue right now and I plan to never take thyroid meds ever again. So that's exciting to me. And there's, there's other cell salts that help with digestion Um, Of course, you still have to have a healthy diet, but they do help with that kind of stuff with gas and indigestion. And so that's, that's the way that I'm going now. I'm kind of learning this stuff. So, but, but the magnesium one, like all you have to kind of do is like kind of Google, like which cell salt helps with constipation and you'll find it online. (laughs) It's going to be like mag mag phosphate or something like that. I can't remember um well and i like that you're diving into these things because i find that um as health enthusiasts it's kind of funny you'll totally dive down one rabbit hole and then the next thing you know it Mm -hmm. it leads into another and to another and you're just constantly learning these new things so it's a lot of fun that you're getting it's awesome and it's great for you know there's certain people who have tried everything. Like I have a a friend who's also a health coach and she also like, she had some gut issues and she's still having some gut issues and she's tried 
everything and she eats a perfect diet and she like she doesn't have any pathogens in her gut she just but there is an imbalance there and she's like i can't figure out how to fix this and so she's diving into homeopathy to try and figure that out too and i'm helping her with that as well so that's super exciting so it's like there are things to do once you like when you feel like you've tried everything you know kind of well you haven't <laughs> no you haven't tried everything because if it hasn't worked there's still something out there that's gonna help you <laughs> yeah awesome so we covered a lot about digestion and stool and all of these things are there some other things that are factors in all of these things that you're talking yeah, about Yeah, you know what i found like really um i want to go with two two sides of this so there's the medications that are very popular that many, many people take, it's not their fault, but it kills their gut bacteria and creates the IBS, right? So we're in effect giving it to ourselves, right? And and it's nobody's fault. I did it too. For years, I took antibiotics. When I was singing and I had like a little bit of a cold and I'm like, well, I have a performance coming up. I have to be well. And it turns out, with antibiotics, I was well in about a week and a half, but without them, I would have been well in about 10 days. So it's not necessary, you know? Well, so that's one thing. And then like the more you take antibiotics, the more you need stronger antibiotics. And then you need antibiotics plus steroids. And all of that kills gut bacteria and gives your, you worse IBS than before. So there's that. And then there's the pesticides that we eat in the food. Like it's very important to eat organic, non-GMO foods. Because if we're eating pesticides, we're actively killing our gut bacteria because pesticides kill the very same pests that, you know, they look the same to the pesticides, the pests in our guts. But those pests we want to keep because they're good for us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's become a large problem for a lot of people yes. because glyphosate, for example, was initially invented because it was an antibiotic and they discovered that it kills things. And because of that, it kind of morphed into this thing that they use yeah. as an herbicide and it's found everywhere. Now it's really hard to get away from it. No matter how clean you are, you're going to be exposed to it at one point. But um, just because it, you, that's going to happen doesn't mean that you can't, um, make the risk less by choosing exactly because even the organic farms can't completely stay away from that stuff if the farm next door is spraying you know and then it's in the groundwater and it's in the soil and you can't really do much about it but what we can do on the other end is eat a ton of sauerkraut right and make your own sauerkraut get it from the produce section in your store and the refrigerated section this is something that a lot of people don't know is that the sauerkraut that you can buy in the inside of the grocery store that's canned or you know jar jar of sauerkraut that doesn't need to be refrigerated that's been pasteurized and all, and so they've they used bacteria to ferment it but then they killed all the bacteria so that it could sit on the shelf for a while. So Absolutely. you don't want that. You want the stuff that has to be in the refrigerated section. 
I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I have a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I eat sauerkraut. I eat kimchi. I eat these things. But um, the other thing is, is to look for it in a mm -hmm. glass jar. And I know the stuff in the middle of the store is in a glass jar as well. But there are a lot of things that are marketed in plastics and um, probiotics and bacteria. They don't actually really like that. So um, it, a really great um, fermented food will typically come in a glass jar. And with anything that you're eating, if it has a label, read the ingredients because I find that they do add to a lot of foods, even if they are quote unquote fermented, they do add like <laughs> yellow number five, um, things like that. So always read your ingredients. Um, if you don't know what it is and you don't know how it grew, I personally don't know how yellow number five grows <laughs> and that seems to be a common one. Um, then you probably That's should a really be good eating point. it. And then also with the, with the, um, sauerkraut, you definitely don't want vinegar as an ingredient because vinegar kills bacteria. That's, That's awesome to use to clean your bathroom, but not for your sauerkraut. And then. Okay, with that being said, I that brings up a question for me then. Um, so, so many people take like apple cider vinegar and things like that with their meals. What is your standpoint? So, on apple that? cider vinegar is not the kind of vinegar that kills bacteria because it's fermented. It itself, it is, well, most of it. The kind that's worth anything was fermented to get that way. If it's not fermented, then it's not truly apple cider vinegar. The The um, most popular brand I've seen is Bragg's, B-R-A-G-G-S, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the one that you probably want to look for. Um, and that is fermented apple cider vinegar. And that's something that's really useful. Again, like if you have candida, don't do if you have a candida overgrowth, it's not useful in the same way that sauerkraut isn't useful. But later on, to like a normal person who maybe just has very low lactobacillus um, and low stomach acid, if you have some apple cider vinegar mixed in with water before every meal, that will trigger the production of stomach acid and get your body making its own stomach acid again. And also there's bacteria in there that's good for you. So that's actually very healthy for your gut. I know I personally ferment um, lots of kombucha at my house. It's my favorite mm. thing to do. It's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's been a couple times where we go on a trip or something and basically my kombucha <laughs> turns into vinegar. <laughs> So it's, but that's a fun little thing for people to start too, if they're looking to incorporate later on down the road, some probiotics. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Diet. And and it's, I like that you do it yourself because a lot of the stuff that you can buy has a lot of added sugar in, in it because w when those things are fermented, right, the, um, the bacteria eats the sugar. And so it's not quite as sweet, but then the ones that you can find in the store, some of them are a little sweeter. They make them more palatable by adding sugar after the fermentation process. And that's probably not the kind of kombucha that you want to be drinking and thinking that you're being healthy. Right? So I like that you right, make it yourself. That's absolutely. super awesome. Amazing. I haven't done that yet. And I make... I make what is called a June kombucha. So it is actually fermented oh, with good. honey instead of sugar and green tea. 
So it's a little bit different spin on the traditional kombucha, but it's a lot of fun to make. And I usually do a second ferment with um, some kind of fruit juice and it just gives it a little bit of an extra flavor, Mm -hmm. makes it a little more palatable and people love it. I have friends that like to come over they have a jar and they'll come (laughs) frequently. You're going to teach them how to do it themselves. (laughs) You're like, hey. I, I've tried and I don't know why some of them struggle with it, but I feel like I need to start you having should. a Oh my gosh, if it's virtual, totally invite <laughs> me. I would love to learn. Can you, but the thing is, is can you get sued for that? Because you're giving people bacteria. I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this world, you have to be so careful about things. But yeah, um, <laughs> anyhow, so if there was one thing that you would want to convey to our listeners today, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Well, I think we just, we, the most important thing is to know what your poop should look like and just know that if it doesn't look like that, that's your body's way of telling you that there's something wrong. And it's probably why you're maybe getting sick more than you would like to because there's something wrong in your gut, which means there's something wrong with your immune system. Awesome. So Lori, if people want to find you, so my website is lauriesealy.com. That's L A U R I E S E E L Y.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Lori gutsy. And, um, I do have a freebie that I could send you a link for. It's the seven steps to kill candida and repair your gut. So you can, yeah, so I can send you the link for that. And so if anybody kind of thinks that maybe candida could be their problem, that would be a really good thing to pick up. Oh yeah. I would love that. Send that all to me and I would happily put it in the show notes so people can explore that. Um, yeah, so I think we covered a lot today, and I'm so thankful that you joined me to have a talk <laughs> about poop and our gut Thanks and for all having these me. things. <laughs> and I'm so yeah, I'm so thanks for having you me so me much. Today. That was fun. Well, everybody, thank you so, so much for tuning in. That is the end of my episode with Lori. I hope you were able to pull a few things from it. I'm so thankful she decided to come and spend some time with me today and share knowledge of her journey with you guys. And I will include all of her information in the show notes so that you can find her. And thanks so much for joining me. And until next time, everybody.